Welcome back, everyone, to Archicast number 77. I hope you enjoyed our second edition of the group podcast on Monday there with Ray, Ayrshire and Aaron. Next week, uh, we'll find us ourselves talking to certainly the first person I'm aware of growing quinoa and or quinoa, depending on how you say it in the UK, uh, Emily Adicott-Sauvois. I could have butchered that name and I apologise for have. Uh, looking forward to that one on Friday. But today... We have probably a first for the Articast, in fairness, uh, with a flower grower. So uh, we're welcoming on uh, Ben Cross, or on Instagram, you may know him as Alstromedia Ben, um, who's going to enlighten us on flower growth because it is something that I'm going to embarrass myself hugely on uh, and it is not something I know much about. So I'm fairly looking forward to this as well. Ben is actually out in the greenhouse. So if you're watching on YouTube, um, you'll see that. And if you're not watching on YouTube, maybe jump over from Spotify to YouTube as he will be sort of giving us some, well, maybe not demos, but showing what he's talking about as we go. So, Ben, would you like to say hello? Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi, listeners. Hi, viewers. And um, thanks very much for having me on your on your awesome podcast. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself so thank you to Aplan Rural for that. So we're we're actually filming this right before Christmas so it's one of our busier weeks so Christmas, V-Day, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day and Easter they're the four biggies for us flower growers so um, yeah it's good to find some time to to do this podcast in amongst all the chaos going on this week so I appreciate you having me on. No, I mean, even more so, given it's a busy time, I appreciate you finding the time at the minute, Ben, and this will be going out sort of January time. Um, uh, as you said, we're filming just before Christmas, and Ben is a bit of an expert in doing these talks. He's done more than I have, that's for sure. So uh, maybe, maybe give us an idea what you just told me off camera there, Ben. How many talks have you done recently? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the, the big highlight, the big bullet point for this whole episode is that over 90% of flowers in the UK are now imported. And obviously the environmental impact of importing all those flowers is pretty redonkulous. And we're not just talking about supermarket flowers, but we're talking about supermarkets, florists, farm shops. They import flowers. Cafes and restaurants might have a locally sourced food menu, but where have the flowers come from that are on the dining room tables? A gas station, petrol station flowers and letterbox flowers as well. So just within the UK, when you're out and about in your daily lives and you see flowers, in a restaurant, in a cafe or whatever, there's over 90% they've been flown in and not grown. And we want to be promoting homegrown and not flown. So back in 2014, you can see on my T-shirt, if you're on YouTube, I started the British Flowers Rock campaign, which is all about doing what we're doing today. Just educating the British public that, yes, when you buy cars, uh, fashion, food, other types of farming, you've always got to support British. But with flowers... The industry is probably 30, 40 years behind where food is now in terms of awareness, education, product placement, labelling and the whole thing. So we talk all about that. But when I started the British Flowers Rock campaign, I didn't know it would last this long. <laughs> and uh, I now do 50 or 60 British Flower Rock talks a year. So I go and do talks at horticultural shows, uh, farming shows, uh, anything to do with the environment, WIs, 
Flower Club. So if anyone's listening and is creating farming events where they want to promote sustainability in the environment, please also include flowers because it's a £2.2 billion industry within the UK. And it's very much um, a forgotten industry with us flower, flower growers. So, yeah, I've been been busy um, giving talks and doing that campaign as well as running the show on the ranch here. So uh, that's a little well, introduction. Yeah. Well, now you mentioned that, I mean, I work for SRUC, Scotland's Rural College. I'm, a, I'm an agricultural lecturer, but there is horticulture courses. I'm sure they'd be keen to have a talk if we could arrange something there, Ben. I'm sure that would be something. Well, that's exactly what I do. So um, colleges up and down the country that can't come here. So local horticultural colleges, they come here in a minibus, have a little tour, and I go into the college, we do a talk, and we also do apprenticeship schemes. So that's how we staff here at Crosslands. We don't rely on cheap foreign labour and things like that. So you may have heard back in lockdown one and two, oh, we've not got any staff to pick our veg or flowers. Well, we did. We actually had too many staff because all the colleges were out. So all the students were like, well, what do we do? Oh, we're phone Ben for a job and part-time work. So it was like having the England squad or a football team, like a sports team. I had a squad rotation. So I actually had loads of staff um, because we have good, strong ties with local horticultural colleges. And that's a real big plus. So we don't have any... Um, any labour coming in uh, it's all local people and we do apprenticeship schemes of colleges so I would love to you know if, if colleges from Scotland can't come here we just do what we're doing now on YouTube yeah. we just do a live video teaching them about sustainability within the flower industry and uh, yeah so that's what I do I do a lot of British flower rock British flowers rock campaigning with colleges as well so I'd love to be involved <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll I'll, um, I'll I'll mention to the relevant people who I don't actually know exactly who it is, but I'll, I'll get in touch. Um, that you mentioned staff there. How many staffs involved in an operation like this? Uh, when I was a young whippersnapper, there was twenty six people here. Now there are six. Uh, right. Two big main reasons for the decline in staff. Uh, one of them is the benefit system we have now. So back in great granddad, granddad's dad's early days, uh, we were inundated with people coming up to the farm gate. Mr. Cross, have you got any work? I want to work. I need to work. Those people don't exist anymore because they can get a free house and free money on what we now call the benefit system or whatever you mm. call it. That's rule number, uh, that's number one reason. Number two is um, granddad used to get £1.95 a bunch at Covent Garden for our flowers. Now we don't even supply Covent Garden because if I did send one bunch up there, even at Christmas, they give me 50p. So I'd love to employ more people, but you physically, financially can't. So you end up working harder for longer for less money. So they're the two negatives. But the positive is, which we've just mentioned, we work just solely with local people and local horticultural colleges. And even when I do talks to colleges up the country, a student up there might actually live down here near Brighton and they can do work in Easter and summer. So that's what we do. We just give young people or people that want a career change and opportunity because there's not many people like me left now. And a lot of people like me left are uh, uh, obviously having cheaper staff whereas we don't want that we want people we want to give people an opportunity that have studied horticulture and farming and we want to give them a placement because there's quite a few more, more people wanting to learn about farming horticulture agriculture but there's less jobs for them because 
we're employing cheap foreign labor and that's not right. We want to give our own people a good start in life. So, you know, we promote British flowers, British grown. So therefore we want to promote our own people within the industry. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what we do. So that, that's our staffing summed up really. <laughs> I think that's quite an important responsibility the way you do it. You know, I think, I think there's somewhat of an undervaluement of, of staff in this country, especially in quite a lot of the rural sector. So it's good that that's sort of a, a pledge you've made. You mentioned, your dad, your granddad, and your great-granddad. Could you tell us what the relevance of that is? Yeah, so I'm fourth generation, so we've been going and growing since 1936. I'm just going to flip-flop the camera for guys on YouTube. I'm just going to flip-flop the camera. So what we've got set up on YouTube here, we've, we're just in one of our little greenhouses. <laughs> little greenhouses, it might be big. I was going to say, that's not what little means in my head. <laughs> yeah, so this path... Uh, the centre path that we've been walking up and down. Uh, this path used to be outside and there used to be wooden greenhouses to the left and to the right. We had the big storm of 87. That blew away all the greenhouses. So the greenhouse that we're doing this podcast and YouTube video in, uh, this was all completed in, in 88. I remember as a, a five-year-old, I was born in 87, about a five-year-old, I was granddad got me in here picking up bits of broken glass and putting them in buckets uh, from the old storm. Um, so this was um, built in 87, 88. So that's the greenhouse that we're in today. But it all started in 1936. Uh, back in the 1930s, we had uh, the Great Depression, something that may happen in 2023. <laughs> we don't know yet. It But basically, a lot of miners and a lot of uh, shipbuilders were out of work in the 1930s, the Great Depression, high unemployment. We didn't have the benefit system like we have today. So back then, the government set up over over 20 areas around the UK where unemployed families would go and work and farm the land. And my great grandparents were originals. They came down from Abertillery to Siddlesham, which is just down here on the south coast near Chichester. If you don't know Chichester or Chai, as I call it, uh, that's between Brighton and Pompey, Portsmouth. And they moved down to the settlement, down to this government settlement down at Siddlesham in 1936. My granddad then joined them after World War II. He met my nan, who was a Pompey girl just down the road here, had my dad, uncles and aunties on the Market Garden Settlement, on the Land Settlement Association. And basically, uh, if, if you want to Google, the listeners want to Google Land Settlement Association or LSA Siddlesham, you can get a whole raft of information. It's now a national lottery funded historic scheme. And some of you guys may have heard of the repair shop on your TV boxes. Yeah, yeah, that's filmed at the Wilden Downland Museum, which is 10 minutes away from me. And it's basically a museum where they erect and put up houses. And one of the houses that were on the Market Garden settlement, it's going to be put up next year. And there's going to be a whole physical exhibition about the LSA at this museum. Uh, but when you were basically part of this government scheme, the LSA, the Land Settlement Association, um, the government basically sold your produce through the uh, market, like a marketing tool, basically. So they would go, Mr. Cross, I've sold your courgettes for that much, your cabbages for that much, and here's your percentage, you know, and people getting on well with it. Well, like, why are we doing this? Why can't we set up on our own? And that's really what the government wanted you to do. They would give you a house, give you your land, and if you got on well with it, you could make enough earnings to set up on your own. And that's what Grandad did in 57. So where I'm stood today, um, was another nursery where they used to grow Christmas trees. So we're filming this at Christmas, so it's quite relevant. But yeah, where this greenhouse I'm stood at the moment used to be, used to be uh, Christmas trees. So they were the first product we sold 
off of our land to get rid of them to make way for back then wooden greenhouses. So yeah, it all started in 1936. And then we've been based here where I live today since 57. So very rare in farming, but even rarer in the cut flower trade that we're going in 2023 nearly. So, uh, or well, when this podcast comes out, it will be 2023. So yeah, 1936 to 2023, that's a kind of a short little historic summary of us really yeah was that 80 87 years no yes 87 years pretty good is going it, that. yeah is it say, yeah. 2023 yeah. yeah so yeah as i say over 90 percent of flowers are imported and we're basically one of the last larger growers left uh doing a cut flower in a full color range all year round those three bullet points if you want a flower any time of the year in any sort of color you can come to crosslands and we've got it and there's not too many places like that left in the whole of the uk so um yeah um, will, will you be one of the, the largest flower growers in the uk left or will there no so there's um there's quite a handful uh in lincolnshire so um okay. i don't think i've explained but we are ba we're basically on the south coast yeah. Uh, about half an hour west of Brighton. So for people on YouTube, five minutes over my shoulder here, we've got the South Downs National Park. And five minutes ahead of the camera, we've got the uh, Witterings. We've got the beach. So yeah. as we're recording this, it's December. It's 15 degrees outside and it's beautiful. Um, I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but um, basically it's a microclimate. So we've got the best soil the best light levels it's warmer here in the winter and it's cooler here in the summer because we've got the nice breeze from the ocean as well so it's the perfect place to grow stuff um but everything around us is just getting built on with red brick horrible housing and um our district council they will allow all these thousands of houses to be, be built but they won't allow me to extend my greenhouse to grow sustainable cut flowers for british people so it's Seems a whole mental, doesn't it <laughs> it is absolutely mental. So there's us down here, but up in Lincolnshire, there's Smith and Munson and a few other large growers. And they sort of seem to survive because they're near the supermarket pack houses. It's not because they've got the best light levels, the best soil and the best this. It's, they just seem to be in the right spot for distribution. Um, but we're such a small island that that shouldn't be an excuse. And that's sure. another thing that's so antiquated i don't know if it's within the farming industry but especially within the flower industry basically because of fair trade it's cheaper to get something from kenya into holland through the dutch auctions over to great yarmouth to a pack house to a middleman to a wholesaler to a florist to your home than it is to get flowers from the south coast to the midlands <laughs> in british flowers it's it's so antiquated you know it, it's um but i guess we'll talk about that later but um yeah so, so that, we're not the only one left but we're one of the last flower growers left yeah <laughs> it's it's you said talk about it later it's probably something we should cover and um, one thing you you mentioned the temperature you had 15 degrees we're currently sitting at a record four uh, degrees here in south scotland <laughs> um and just for reference two days ago i uh, i filmed with with a, a lady rachel stratton um who is currently based in norway that had just had negative 28 so in the last three days of filming, I've filmed a difference of 43 degrees. <laughs> I mean, it was minus it was minus six here when we had the proper proper northerly winds. But um, yeah, it only lasted for about a week. So it wasn't yeah. too bad. So, 
that's pretty good and that's the that's that's what i always say um why grow something in the uk if it takes a lot of input to get a little bit out of it the big bullet bullet point on this is that british ulstromeria or known as the Peruvian lily, because it's called Ulstromeria, the crop that I grow, the flower I grow, because you've got to blame that on a Swedish dude, <laughs> a Swedish baron that went over to Peru and Chile in the 1700s, and he brought the Ulstromeria seed back, and his name was Ulstromeria, so that's why it's called Ulstromeria, but common name is Lily of the Inca or Peruvian lily. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to flip-flop the camera around, and guys on YouTube, this is what the flower looks like i've just spotted one in the flower bed here that's opened up oh they're gorgeous aren't they they're gorgeous so that's what they look like when they're fully in bloom nice big fat juicy buds this variety is called lemon which is a lemony color and this is how we harvest them we harvest them nice elongated fat buds and they're not a cut flower they're a hand-picked flower so i'm just going to get my hand in there and literally pick it straight out the soil just oh, like right. so there you go it's 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 not a cut flower it's a hand-picked flower and that's how we pick it so we harvest them at nice big fat juicy ripe buds and then the customer gets that opening out to that in their in their home so that's the uh that's why in the greenhouse it looks all green <laughs> because the color is always with the customer so it's always green in the greenhouse and then they they blast open, bang open in um, people's homes like that. So, so, so that one for for those listening on YouTube or not listening on YouTube, sorry, watching on YouTube that you just showed there that had bloomed, or I'm probably using the wrong word here, flowered, whatever. Uh, <laughs> are they? You wouldn't sell them like that. You're selling them still ready to to open up, yeah. Yeah. So we right. we have this nice, big, fat, juicy, elongated buds, yeah. and that's the big difference with my flowers. The imported flowers are harvested way, way too tight. It would be like if you're farming strawberries or tomatoes, you know, when you grow your own. Do you want yellowy green strawberries and orangey tomatoes? Or do you want nice, big, fat, red, juicy fruit? That's what you want. And that's the big difference. Food and flowers, we're on a similar path. We want to be harvesting the crop at the correct bud stage. So all of the imported flowers, they're harvested really small buds so they can fit more in a shipping container, more in an aeroplane. Basically, if you fit more of the same thing in the same space, you make more money. But that's what we're not interested in money here. We're interested in quality products. So that's how we harvest. So I'll just quickly show for youtube but if we were in kenya ecuador colombia we'd be harvesting look these tiny little bullet shaped buds and basically oh, that won't okay. produce that won't produce a quality flower that'll be all frazzled you'll see them in the supermarket or stream area they'll be frazzled and weird and ropey looking and old and it's because they're harvested too tight but look at the big difference between this bullet shaped bud and those big buds so i'll put yeah. them alongside each other look i'll put them alongside each other so they're the ones that we harvest those nice big fat juicy elongated buds compared to these tiny little ones look and right. that, that's the big difference between how how you harvest your crop just like any type of farming so we harvest like that not like that and are these are these hand not cut hand picked then that's yes they yeah. Are, yeah we don't have machines <laughs> yeah no, no, we, we, I, I, we don't I, have I, machines it's all um it's all done by hand so um 
the prepping of the beds, the planting of the plants. So this is what the plants look like when they come onto the nursery. They're in these little nine centimetre pots. So they, this is what the Ulstrom area come like. You can see the root system growing nice yep. in the pot. And then you put that in the ground. Uh, we put this in the ground in August and come November, they're mature plants and we can start harvesting from it. And if we look after our plants, uh, they last for 20, 30 years. So nice and sustainable that we're not replanting 100% of our crop. We only replant less than 5% of the crop a year. Right. So we've got hundreds and hundreds of flower beds, but this year we only replanted one. And last year we replanted none. A lot of our flower beds are over 30, nearly 40 years old, still producing good quality stems because we know what varieties cope best with the British weather and we know how to look after them. But that's all done by hand, the planting, that the cutting, uh, that picking's done by hand and also the processing and the packet. Everything's all pretty much done by hand because it's uh, one of those jobs, you know. I can't well, just get like a machine just to do everything. No. It would be a very, very intricate machine. And it, and it plays into your whole mantra that it's done by hand though. Um, those transplants, do you grow them from seed or are they brought in? No, so it's all grown under license. So uh, for anyone listening or watching and actually wants the plants, we don't do that. All of our plants, they're grown under license. It would be illegal for me, illegal to divide the plants, um, sell the plants. So we sell okay. the cut, we sell the cut flowers only. Um, so it's all grown under license. We get checked up twice a year to make sure we're not illegally dividing our roots. But in Britain, in the UK, Ulstromeria is known as a protected ornamental. So by protected ornamental, it wants to be in a greenhouse, ideally. But in places like Kenya, Colombia, Ecuador, Cambodia, uh, a lot of illegal root division happened because they could just go into a field. Uh, one acre became two, four, eight, sixteen. They got big quick illegally. That has stopped a lot now because they get they get checked up on as well. But a lot of um, illegal root division, yeah, it, it can't happen here. So it's all all grown under license. So very specialist, very expensive. So um, our flower beds, for those that are watching, um, our flower beds are a meter wide, thirty meters long, and we've got hundreds and hundreds of these flower beds all around the nursery and to just replant one of these beds is about two and a half grand two and a half oh, thousand right, okay. pounds so it's very um specialist and very expensive the varieties we grow they've been bred for their vase life their height their color their flower size um you know all, all of that stuff so it's not your average garden varieties yeah how many plants will you get by meter squared roughly yep yeah, so um these little bad boys, these little dudes, 135 of these plants go into one of our flower beds. That's one of the, the 30 by ones. Yes, yeah, so all of our flower beds are a meter wide by 30 and 135 plants that I'm holding up here on the video. Um, so is that about four and a half a meter squared? Four and a half. I don't know. Oh, yeah, give it to, yeah, all, yeah. <laughs> all I know is that we've still got granddad's little bits of string that he drew little black marks on. We put, put the bit of string down the middle of the bed where there's a black mark. That is how we plant them and stagger them. We've always done it that way. And that's how it works. Excellent. So a so, bit of old school technology there, a bit of string with some marks on it. And that's where these plants get staggered. 
into the bed and they just get planted wrist deep in the ground and uh, so they get planted in august and we get some flowers off in november december time um and that's how we do it that's how we rock and roll with it so yeah, but not, nice and sustainable is the main thing because we're not we're not replanting all of the crop so yeah i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors a plan rural a plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the uk over and we'll give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification yeah you, you mentioned at the start there was there's three things that the uh, various colors um, all year round and i've forgotten the third one <laughs> uh so it's a full color range yeah uh all year round and they're british that's what it was yeah that's what it was um <laughs> and yeah. the, the, so two questions there uh all year round you're putting the the first plant in originally in, in that august time how over time how long how many sort of harvests are you getting from each plant a year i guess is what i'm trying to ask right okay so <laughs> Let's take it back. So we, uh, Alstrom area, it's not a seed and it's not a bulb. It's not a one hit wonder. As I say, it's not a seed or a bulb that you put in the ground. It grows, you cut it. Next year, you've got to put another seed, another bulb in the ground. In this pot here is a rhizome, a root system, uh, which goes into the bed. And so our beds are full of roots and rhizomes. And basically from a meter squared, we expect to get about 200 stems in a meter squared over an annual cycle uh, so times that by four or five acres of greenhouse you've got well we harvest millions a of stems a year <laughs> yeah i don't know how many it is but we harvest millions of stems a year we've got a plethora a smorgasbord of different varieties we've got over 70 different varieties and that ensures that we have a full color range available all year round because um all the varieties people say oh alstrom air is that what you do well that's a farmer that just grows mushrooms but you might grow loads of different varieties of mushrooms <laughs> and they all grow at different weird times and things and that's the same for me i do over 70 different varieties which is like growing over 70 different types of flowers because each variety some like the summer some like the winter some grow better in this area some grow better in that area so it's not as easy as just whacking these in the ground and hey presto you've got flowers there's a lot of uh, science involved and it really bugs me and really frustrates me that our government call our job unskilled <laughs> you know so oh, yes, 100 <laughs> percent. yes someone someone in kenya and Colombia gets paid a dollar a day for what i do i get that but you know I only sleep for three, four hours a day out of 24 and I'm busy doing soil analysis and, um, you know, maintaining the crop. It, it's a skill. We probably go through about 20 people a year that can't even pick a flower. They, they have no, they, they have no feel. They have no, um, you know, working in all weathers, working outside, um, getting up early, um, actually feeling a plant and, and picking it correctly and, quickly and efficiently and these are all these are all skills we we shouldn't class our jobs as unskilled labor and unskilled farming and we need to really keep banging on about this and that's what i do in my talks because it is a profession it is a science and it is a skill you know we put skill passion love and energy into everything we farm and grow within the uk and it really bugs me that we think we think we can just get anyone to pick or harvest our crops because that isn't true we're a tiny little flower nursery really on planet earth 
And I prove that every season by 20, 30 people that can't even handle a plant and pick it and maintain it because they have no nothing in them. <laughs> they well, just it's a skill. It's a skill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it really bugs me. <laughs> and I, I totally get that. I mean, I was speaking to a really good friend yesterday who had spent a lot of time out in New Zealand as a as a milker, and uh, she had her uh, she had her visa declined because it wasn't a skilled job. And I'm like, putting clusters on a cow isn't a skilled job, but making sure those cows are looked after well is a skilled job. You know, it's the, like just like you're saying, um, we're we're sort of undervaluing these things. I'll tell you what, see if you make a bit of noise, Ben, because it'll be seeing me because I'm speaking, so they can see what you're doing at the minute. It's a good view. Oh, right. I, I was just actually showing you the sun is actually coming out here. So um, I, it feels about 20 degrees in the greenhouse now. <laughs> if you can see behind me, it's very bright now. Here in Sussex, we've got the Sussex sunshine um, beaming through the glass. So I thought I'd just show you that. That's, uh, a, that's a humble flex for the 23rd of December, that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at it. Beautiful. Yeah, so, so it's really nice and bright. It, it doesn't... I mean, very rarely does it snow. We get a bit of snow on the tops of the downs, you know, the South Downs. But I mean, it doesn't really snow here. Even when people got snow, when it was minus five, minus six or whatever, we we had a bit of ice and frost, but nothing major because we're so close to the beach. You know, the beach <sighs> is literally five minutes there. So, well, it, yeah, yeah it's, it's handy. And and when you mention some of the other countries, which is it's going to be my question in a wee second, uh, you know, temperature at least has got to be involved, you know, or everywhere, everywhere else you're considering. Um, yeah. The, the, the third, the third thing was color. You you showed us really nice sort of light yellow lemon was the variety. You said uh, how many colors and what colors are on offer of Ulster Media? Oh, around the world you can get thousands. But as right. I say, we do over seventy varieties. That keeps me busy enough, and that ensures that basically, if you want white, red, orange, yellow, purple, cream, lilac. Um, any colour you can think of. The only colours, basically it's easier to say, the only colours we don't do are blue and black, but we do all the other colours. And as I say, we have lots of varieties. So at any one time of the year, if that white variety doesn't like winter, we've got one that does, so I can deliver white or whatever. So it's, um, yeah, over 70 varieties. And that just, yeah, enables us to have a nice, good, good mix of colour all year round, yeah. That is so much more than I expected. <laughs> I was expecting like three colours there. That was very impressive. Um, no, do, 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 do the full, what we call the full colour range. So if anyone, a florist or a, a customer phones me up and goes, Ben, I want 100 stems of red, 100 stems of white, yellow, whatever, then um, then we've got it. We've got oh. it. Yeah. So that's and that's. This is a bit of an unrelated, but I feel like I have to ask a question. You mentioned you don't have black. Is there flowers you can get black? Uh, I don't know. I think I've seen roses and things, but I don't know if they're artificially I... black or not. But I have seen black flowers before, um, but I don't know. Uh, no. You know, is it, again, I mean, uh, we, I know we just talked about uh, temperature. So I was saying, why grow something in the UK that takes a lot of input? Well, there's two really big bullet points on what I grow, the Ulstrom area. Number one, it's a cool crop. So by a cool crop, we mean it doesn't take a lot of heat. So uh, we're on biomass here. On the, we've got local, uh, local wood pellets that we burn. And we used to burn about 100 to 120 tonnes of pellets a winter. 
this winter so far, uh, even by the time this comes out in January, we've probably only burnt about 20 tonnes, <laughs> proving right. that our winters are getting warmer. So the temperature that we need of a winter's night is only 10 degrees. So the plants are absolutely happy in here at 10 degrees. They'd be happy at one degree, but, you know, we don't need, like if you were growing poncetias, you'd need 20 degrees. If you're growing mm -hmm. lilies or tulips, you need 15 degrees, but, or lisianthus or something. But Ulstromere, it's known as a cool crop. So it's nice and sustainable that we don't need a lot of heat. And when we do heat, we're using local wood. Secondly, it's known as a dry crop. So we only water for 20 minutes once a month in the winter, 20 minutes once every two weeks in spring and autumn, and 20 minutes once every 10 days in the summer. So even in this hot summer that we've just had in 2022, we've not been watering every day. We've not been watering every other day. We've not even been watering every week. So it's a cool crop. It's a dry crop. We're not hardly replanting it. So it's nice and sustainable to grow within you in the UK. And hence, that's why granddad got on, on well with it. And um, it was seen as a good crop to grow in the UK. So uh, even though I'm large scale, you might watch Gardener's World sometimes and they go right plant for the right place. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to get a plant because you love it. And then you try and stick it somewhere which it's not going to thrive. So it's just like farming and growing in the UK. Why try, as I say, grow something or produce something that's got a lot of, especially with the fertilizer and the um, the costs all going up by about four six hundred percent. My my costs have gone up between four hundred to six hundred percent. Whether that's little elastic bands that go on the flowers or packaging or fertilizer, it's all gone up by extortionate amounts. So we're lucky that we don't have a lot of stuff that we need to buy in so so it's quite been quite handy <laughs> yeah it, it makes sense sort of that the name was you said peruvian lily or lily of the inca so i mean that that's yes. very high up temperatures are going to be low um yeah but they naturally live in the andes they like living sort yeah. of halfway up the andes in chile and peru and um yeah, they're little buggers. They just keep on keep on growing. They don't let you rest, even in the winter. You you know we we're still we're still harvesting thousands of stems uh, a week in in December and January. You know, and the, the the countries you mentioned, I think it was Kenya, Ecuador, and Cambodia. But is that where also Alstromedia have been growing? Because yes, yeah, so, well, temperature controlled units. Over 90% of flowers in the UK are imported and most of the flowers people think come from Holland. Well, yes, they come via Holland. So every, everything goes into <laughs> Holland, into the big auctions, but things are coming into Holland from Cambodia, Colombia, Ecuador, Kenya. It's coming from all around the world. So, yes, exactly. Our labelling is so, so poor on our flowers. So it might say Holland, but it's actually been grown in Kenya. So, for example, British bacon can no longer just say British bacon. If it's Danish bacon, it will say Danish bacon packed in Britain. But with flowers, I've just been into a supermarket today on a research mission. You go into Sainsbury's, it just says Alstromeria, four quid. It doesn't say what chemicals are on the packaging, what chemicals are on the flowers, not when it was picked, where it was picked, where it was packaged. You've got no information. As I say, the flower industry is 30, 40 years behind in terms of the, the uh, food and farming industry. And it's just not good enough because people are just so unaware of where their flowers have come from, not because it's their fault, 
but it's it's just a lack of product placement and labeling it's it's illegal you can't you know when you buy clothing and it says 100% recycled well it's got to be 100% recycled when you buy a car and it's a hybrid well it's got to be electric and and gas uh, when you buy food it says british bacon well you expect that to be british bacon or, or red tractor or scottish lamb instead of new zealand lamb you know it's all laid out for you uh, free range eggs instead of barn eggs but you, at the moment you walk into a supermarket you go up to the the flower stand and it's a, just a chaotic mess of of horrible packaging and we talk about plastics there's probably more plastic packaging within the flower industry than there is in the food industry you go into a supermarket around christmas time like i've just been there's plastic rods with plastic santas on there's mm -hmm. plastic glitter over everything there's plastic labels plastic cellophane it's it's just plastic 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 it's just not talked about enough and that's what i do i rant on about it all the time is <laughs> it does I'm guessing the reason for that is the fact flowers don't fall under food stuff because, like you say, we have to say where it's from. And, and funnily enough, as someone who's been to the auctions in Holland, I knew they were coming in from elsewhere, but the, the, I don't buy flowers often, in fairness. The, the few times I have, I've just assumed that's where they came from. But that's a really good point. You, you should be able to yeah, trace back it, to the, again, the roots. Fail, it's not food, but you go to most shops, jewellery. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. is labelled. Uh, when you watch a David Attenborough program uh, or or any TV program, at the end it will give a carbon footprint rating of how much carbon it took to film a millisecond of that little bug down there, or the millisecond of that that, that little fish thousands of meters below water. You know, it has to be. You know, it's a two point two billion pound forgotten lost industry um, within the UK, and it's just not good enough. Um, if we're to lower our carbon footprint, well, if you look behind me here, if we can grow something of quality in our own country, surely that's better than importing it from around the world. And don't forget these planes and boats are going back empty because we don't produce anything in the UK that we're sending out to any other country. So half that carbon footprint is wasted because we're not producing anything much that's going back to Kenya and Colombia and Ecuador. They don't want our stuff, you know? Um, so you've got to think about that as well, that uh, half the journey is wasted because nothing's coming back the other side. So um, yeah, big, big problems with the, yeah. um, well, I know, I know food has got a long way to go. We've had your Jamie's, your Jimmy's, your Hugh Fernie's, the war on waste, the packaging, um, sourcing locally and all this um but flowers we're we we're just getting left behind and that's why i do my little british flowers rock campaign and just do my bit and i'm very grateful to have people saying oh do you want to come on my podcast or youtube thing because just need to get the message out there and hopefully one day someone up in the government will actually switch on and go oh i think we need a minister for protected ornamentals because at the moment uh, there's no one in the government there's no one in defra there's no one in the NFU. There's no one up in the ether here that is actually doing anything to help people like me. And it's it's just not good enough. It, well, it isn't good enough. Um, it's uh, I'm a member of the NFU um, through habit, really. We've been a member since, you know, great granddad. Um, but there's no one there that actually does anything for flowers. We don't get any government grants. We don't get any help. Uh, we 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 actually get nothing. You just have to. We just have to fight for ourselves, and it shouldn't be like that because I know other areas of farming do get some support and help and things. But with flowers, we're we're getting left behind, and it's it's not right, you know.
No, I agree. And and as someone who's, I'm not involved in the flower industry at all, but, you know, I'm involved in the rural sector. I speak to a lot of people through this, through work, whatever. Even I wasn't really aware, you know, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you've changed the mind of someone today, you know, uh, it's, it's good that you're getting that story out there. Um, you mentioned the sort of impact of fair trade, Ben. Could you maybe elaborate a bit more on that? What I mean is, why do our government give other governments money to grow stuff that then comes all the way here. There's no fair trade for UK. So back in the Land Settlement Association days, they used to give grants to modernise my greenhouse. They used to give grants to put in screens that go into the greenhouse that shade in the summer and come all the way and box in the crop in the winter to stop heat loss. Um, they used to be, um, you know, scientific stuff you know scientific stuff done where they would they would test things and what works in the uk what soil are you on um but nothing is it's so antiquated and small scale and even just the transport as i say the transport yeah. paid for with fair trade it costs me more to get flowers from brighton to scotland than it does from around the world my brain just can't comprehend why our government doesn't even give a proportion or a percentage to its own people to grow stuff for its own people it might i just it lowering the carbon footprint climate change and things like that surely that's the number one thing and we've had ash clouds we've had brexits we've had covids we've had the war in russia this has all impacted less stuff on our shelves and what isn't what, what is on our shop shelves is more expensive because we've we've relied so heavily on on all this importation and if we actually grew our own stuff we would have more on the shelves and it will be uh, better for our British public because they wouldn't be spending all their money uh, on the uh, airfare or freight or whatever that has to come in so it really just makes no sense and that's why the LSA was set up to get our own people back into work then we had to dig and grow for Britain during the war and all that and we were basically very self-sufficient and sustainable as a country so if there was an ash cloud a, a brexit a covid's a war in another country we weren't weren't so heavily reliant on on importation and um i just don't know why our governments never learn or people never learn because we've had ash cloud brexit covid and a war we've had four things in my generation that have all I mean, been surely triggers to trigger someone's brain and go oh what if this keeps on happening and, and we keep running out of stock and our people have to pay loads of money for food and flowers and clothes and stuff? In my mind, just I just can't, I don't understand how, I understand how fair trade works, but I just don't understand why there's not something for British farmers and growers um, closer to home. It's, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, I mean, I completely agree. And you're, you're talking about those four sort of catastrophes. It's, it's not even just a generation. It's a decade, isn't it? I mean, when when the ash cloud was 2013, wasn't it? I think. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's really not been a long that, that, that period. was caused havoc within the uh, within huge, transport yeah. and everything. Yeah, it was a nightmare. I, I think things like fair trade, fair trade. With a lot of these sort of things, I think the principle and also a lot of the practice is excellent. But it does come to the point, I always sort of wonder with governments, if it's some kind of sort of washing that you can like make it look like you're doing brilliant, but you're not considering the full story, like you're saying. Um, well, I understand. I love fair trade. Instead of brilliant. growing plants, yeah. they grow all Instead of doing illegal drug runs, they grow 
something else, bananas. I, I totally understand that. And we don't want people working in horrible conditions and all of that. I totally understand that. But if we're looking at the whole picture, over 90% of flowers are imported. Well, if they give me a little bit of a grant or something, it's not going to affect a 400 acre farm in Kenya or whatever. Yeah. But it's, um, it's just like we just need... We need um, not just financial help, but my British Flowers Rock campaign, it's free. Anyone can get involved. It's my little thing. It's not a proper government NFU thing, but there should be something like that. Mm -hmm. Like we've had the Jamie's, the Jimmy's, the Hugh Fernley's, the Red Trap, all this stuff. It's, it's you know, it needs something. It basically needs someone bigger and better than me to... To, to get this out to the masses but um maybe, maybe, maybe it's not bigger and better than you maybe you are the person you get a big following on social media you know well i am the person at the moment because i'm yeah. the only one banging on about it um <laughs> but that's the frustrating thing when i go and talk to 100 people or 200 people at a garden show or people like my stuff on ig twitter or facebook it's frustration because people they understand it they get it it's very easy to explain but it's annoying that people in NFU, DEFRA, government, higher levels that get paid way more than me <laughs> um, can't comprehend it in their minds. They can't work it out when it's so obvious to everyone else, to the normal guy, girl, whatever that goes into a supermarket and go, oh, yeah, Ben's right. I don't yeah. know what chemicals are sprayed on these flowers. I don't know where they've come from i don't know all this stuff i would love to buy flowers from ben or another grower we need more of this we need to educate people and all this i mean it's 2023 and as i say it's in terms of the fashion food car all lots of other industries we are way behind on on getting this sustainability environmental stuff going on you know it's yeah we're we're sort of getting left out of everything you know so um yeah no, it does it does seem that way and you mentioned that you don't know what chemicals are on these crops and you also mentioned earlier that your inputs are you know not huge what, what is the inputs and also probably important as well what what is the what cultivation method is involved in flowers how's the soil treated how's it worked all that sort of thing <clears throat> right getting science this is going to go on this podcast isn't it what I time are we you love it we'll, we'll stop when you say uh, you're, you're in control you can tell me no that's fine that's fine, right. that's fine. Um, <laughs> so when we were on the lsa obviously granddad wanted to move off of it so basically he did a very good job that we're on nice medium loam soil so we're not on sand and we're not on clay nothing like clay apart from Rafa Nadal you know <laughs> um, it's difficult to grow. if you're growing on sand you're going to use a lot of water if you're growing in clay your roots are going to rot and it's going to be horrible and stodgy so we're on nice medium soil we're very flat as you can see behind me here we're very flat we're between the downs and the beach the ocean um, so we're in a nice little microclimate as we said so we're all naturally perfectly set up um, and you may find it odd but we are still growing out of mother earth so even a lot of flowers and food that's grown in the UK, as I'm sure you're aware, they've had to result to hydroponics, rock wool, other uh, growing techniques because they've sterilized and sterilized and replanted and replanted. And they've lost all the good microbes and bacteria that were once in their soil. But because we're not heavily replanting, we've still got very, very good high levels of microbes in our soil. And every two years, every basically Christmas, so I'll get a delivery next week of about 20 odd tons of organic compost. So we're peat free, but we just have organic compost. So that looks after the biology 
and we um, we take hundreds of core samples of the soil that goes off to the laboratory, gets analysed for the chemistry, and then we make up our own fertiliser based on on those results. So we only give the crop what it needs at that particular time. It's almost like a recalibrating the soil because you can put on generic compost and generic fertilizer but your crop may not want that and you might be wasting energy in the environment so we only give our crop what it needs when it needs it um so our fertilizer usage and as i say watering we only water well through january i'm only going to do one watering in the whole yeah, of january. that's amazing you know, a month so in the winter um, so our levels, it's quite low input, you know. Um, so I say, apart from putting putting in a little bit of heat, uh, which mm. we get local biomass, local wood from, um, we grow our crop naturally. You'll notice above my head here, uh, if you're watching on the video, you, you don't see any artificial lighting. So we don't have any artificial lighting, which is a good thing because the bats and the birds at night aren't getting sketched out and weirded out. And we're not causing any light pollution. So um, we don't have any artificial lighting as well. Well, I couldn't afford it anyway, but, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you go over to Kent, don't you? And all, all the tomato nurseries are lit up and you, there's a blackout blind on your Airbnb and all the birds <laughs> get weeded out and it's not good for nature, basically. So apart from, as I say, putting in a little bit of heat, um, which we do, um, I'll just show you that I've got the pellets here. So this is what the, the pellets look like. So that's okay. what they look like. And then our heating pipes, it's a flow and return. So where my finger is here on the video, we've got our, our heating pipe that's sat down by the soil and we've got a flow and return that goes around the whole bed. Right. And that heats the, um, heats the bed. Because whenever you're growing anything on a large scale or a smaller scale, you want heat to rise up through your crop, through whatever you're growing. Because especially through the winter, day like today, this morning, it was really condensated and damp and everything in the greenhouse. But with the, uh, um, with the heating down by the soil, as the heat radiates off that pipe, it's going to clear off all the condensation and dampness that builds up on your plant material. So it keeps the crop nice and nice and dry. Uh, once the crop's been harvested, we don't apply any chemicals. So obviously it, it takes about five weeks for flowers to get from Kenya into your house. Okay. Basically, as they travel around the world, it's a bit like Han Solo in Jabba's <laughs> palace, sort of cryogenically frozen in carbonite. They're, they're frozen at half a degree. They're blasted with loads of chemicals to keep them looking fresh, uh, but they're not, obviously. Uh, but after ours are harvested, they're not sprayed with any chemicals and they're in a home. They're with a customer with, with, within one or two days. Otherwise, we throw them away because what's the point of me giving you three, four week to three week old flowers? You might as well go to Waitrose or another supermarket or they, they all, all have imported Ulstromera, all of them. Yeah. So whole host, Lidl, Aldi, whatever. And um, you're better off, you know, if you, you don't want that, you want fresh stuff. So we don't sort of um, preserve our stuff in any chemicals. It's all natural. And um, we don't use any pesticides or insecticides. So it's all about biocontrol, introducing bio into the greenhouses um, to combat against biology. So, a couple of examples. I think you've just went away too far from the Wi-Fi bed. Sure. So, oh, is that better? That's better. That yeah, better? you heard for a minute there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> I'd say we don't use any pesticides or insecticides. So, 
Um, it's all about biocontrol, introducing biology into the greenhouse that we don't want. So this is in Carsia. You get 60 little larvae on a card where my thumb is. And yes. we hang this up. We hang this up around tomato plants or aubergine plants that attracts white fly to the tomato or aubergine plants. And then the Incarsia, the mini wasps, eat the white fly, basically. So you're oh, using, okay. using biology to combat against what you don't want. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because that my next question was going to be what what challenges do you have from pest, weeds, and diseases? So that's obviously one of your your pests. There, you've got a, a solution to any weeds and disease issues. Yeah, so we got a uh, white fly, aphid, black fly, black bean aphid, and if you any viewers or listeners have house plants, um, it's not been a good year uh, for house plants because it's been such a long, dry, hot summer. You may have seen little webbing around your house plants or in your greenhouses, and that's spider mite. Spider mite is a problem in long, uh, dry, hot summers. And we also use uh, biology for that. We use phytocelis, which is basically twice the it's, a, it's another type of mite. It's twice the size of the spider mite. We sprinkle those guys over the spider mite, and the phytocelis eat and gorge themselves on the on the red spider mite. So basically, say we're introducing biology just about as we start seeing the first signs of stuff that we don't want hanging about and uh, we eradicate it using other bits of biology and banker plants and permaculture growing things alongside other things to naturally control pests and diseases and um yeah we that we do that and we're proving that on a large scale if you basically identify something at a garden level we we sort it out, unlike Kenya, where they load up the helicopter with spray and they'll spray <laughs> 400 acres and blast everything outside, you know, whereas we identify it as soon as we spot it. So I don't know, we'll get the cabbage white butterflies in June, oh, yeah. July. We know we start seeing caterpillar rubbish, caterpillar poo on some of our leaves and we start looking out for caterpillars as soon as the butterflies are sort of um, stopped hanging about. So We've been going since 1936, and again, this is unskilled, right? Well, that's <laughs> Government, a, yeah, you, you know, you no idea what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's quite. Yeah, clear. so so it's a skill just identifying when, where, you, when you're going to get your pests and how to combat it, and all of this bio control. It was all used in the 1920s, 1930s before pesticides and insecticides became um, became sort of large scale and cheap, basically, yeah. and now. Um, so it's all been well researched and all that stuff. So, so yeah, that's what we do. So when yeah. you were talking about that, um, I've forgotten it was Encarden. Encarsia, uh, the, the mini parasitic wasp. Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, tomato and aubergine plants. So are you growing more than just the Alstromedia then? There is also other crops or is that elsewhere? Yes. So we grow uh, banker plants or companion plants. So right. we have uh, courgette, cucumber, uh, eggplant, aubergine plant, tomato plants sporadically growing through the greenhouses because they attract pests off of our Alstrom area onto that banker plant. And on that banker plant, we've built up a good population of that encarsia, that parasitic wasp. And as I say, those wasps will lay eggs inside the whitefly. They'll make a host of the whitefly. So you'll limit your whitefly population and the encarsia, they don't harm the Ulstrom area. So again, it's permaculture. It's just growing things alongside other things, using that biocontrol just to just naturally control pests that we don't want hanging about. And they are grown alongside. It's not integrated into rotation or anything like that. No, it's they are just growing. No, they're just grown. Yeah, yeah and then we right. we make 
tomato pie or you know moussaka ratatouille you know, excellent yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, well, we, the, we obviously grow our own. We got like you know raspberry canes, and you know I grow a lot of my own fruit and veg here and stuff as well. But yeah, yeah. The you mentioned sort of supermarkets, and and I think it'd be fair to say you don't speak over highly of some of the supermarkets. Flower, flower. Oh no, well, they, they 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 don't treat growers with any respect or uh, fair fairness or anything. And there's no. Yeah. Um, the communication is lacking and as I say everything's so antiquated you know getting it from the greenhouse to the to their warehouse but they're quite happy to buy Kenyan stuff that goes around the world and it just goes into their warehouse well come and pick my stuff up because I'm, in, I'm I've just seen your van go down the A27 <laughs> do you know what I mean just yeah. that's what I mean it's just so oh it's just not good enough it's just it's glaringly obvious that things can be way better very easily um but um, yeah, if, if 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 it's if it's cheaper by 0.001p a stem, they'll go over there. So we used to supply any supermarket you can think of. We've supplied them in our lifetime. Uh, the last supermarket we were supplying uh, was Sainsbury's uh, just before um, it was uh, February. It was Val Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, twenty twenty. Um, I got a horrible phone call from a lady at Sainsbury's, and she said. Ben, we don't want your flowers anymore because we can get them 4p cheaper a bunch from Colombia. <laughs> uh, so there you go. And that was a phone call. <laughs> and that's just a hang up phone call. You're done. You know, and that was it. Uh, it was the no contract. It's just you're done. That's, that's how it goes. You're done. Just like that parsnip family in the war and waste with their wonky veg, all that. It's, you know, that's it's just not right. It's just not right. Uh, and it's all done uh, penny pinching and things. But luckily, we now do supply Morrisons. Morrisons have been way, way better. Communication has been good. They understand when the weather's not right, we've got less, or the weather's mm. good, they can take a bit more. Communication's a lot better. The actual people from actual Morrisons have actually been into my greenhouses, whereas right. St. Breeze and everyone else, they just sent middlemen that just talked about money and they didn't actually care about the biocontrol and all the sustainability stuff we're doing and all this stuff. It was all straight hard to the point, you know. Um, your mind just gets blown. It really does. Um, but we've had, uh, well, with the British Flowers Rock thing, basically, this podcast going on, isn't it? But I used to do That's marine brilliant. biology. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, so I, I used to do marine biology. I, did, I studied it as a kid. So I did marine biology from 2000 to 2011. Really enjoyed living around the world and doing lots of stuff for the environment. Loved it. Uh, came back here in 2011. And between 2011 and 2014, I tried to get help. So um, I don't know. I tried to contact Gardener's World, uh, Country File. Um, I got my local MP. My local MP for the South Down region came here. But um, yeah. Ow. Yeah. Sorry. Someone's coming into the greenhouse. If you Not could. At all. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. mind. <laughs> oh, that's Yeah. Anyway. It shouldn't be too bad. They're going to turn on some equipment. Um, yeah, so basically I tried to get help from NFU, DEFRA, local government, even Country Farm, that wouldn't reply. So in 2014, that's when I started my little campaign and tried to just educate people and that it just, we weren't being treated very nicely or fairly. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week 
and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. It's it's yeah. good and it's good to spread that sort of message if you want Ben but I just the, the the reason I'd started the thing about supermarkets was you mentioned there about Morrison's is Morrison's 100% your market or are you selling through other streams as well no so uh, obviously back in great granddad's granddad's and dad's early days um it was sustainable to supply supermarkets and wholesalers Hi. um because back then um wholesalers and supermarkets wanted to buy British if it was around and um I think the guy that started Sainsbury's actually was all for, um, I don't know, I've forgotten the actual, it wasn't Jay Sainsbury, but the guy that helped him start Sainsbury originally, um, yeah. his ethos was buying British and local and all that stuff. And that's what it was back then, because there was obviously a lot more growers. Um, but it's basically unsustainable to supply just wholesalers and supermarkets so we used to supply obviously covent garden western spitalfields yeah. the big three around the m25 around london uh, and we i remember as a kid slapping on sheffield birmingham leicester onto the flower boxes and we used to supply the midland markets as well now we just supply brighton market so right, just okay. supply, so if you think we just supply morrison's and brighton so it's been up to me my generation to find other people to sell to so we supply direct to the public so for 25 quid, you get four big bunches delivered to your door. And if it's for a gift, we put in a little message as well, uh, because back in lockdowns, uh, letterbox sales went up 800 percent. You've probably heard of Freddie's Flowers, Wild and Bloom, Bloom and Wild, Serenata Flowers, Arena Flowers, Funky Pigeon, Moon Pig. So I contacted them all and said, because they use a lot of Ulstromera in their designs, I said, oh, um, um, do you want my Ulstrom area? They said, no, <laughs> basically we want the cheap imported inferior stuff. So I ended up doing it on my own. So we now do direct deliveries to the public um, via post. Uh, we supply direct to florists. We supply direct to farm shops. We supply direct to cafes and restaurants. We just supply anyone that cares about planet earth because we've yeah. only got and we need to look after it. So you just work with like-minded businesses. There's a hairdresser in Brighton that uses doesn't use any um, weird products. All of their products are natural. And they have my flowers in their hairdressers, you know, because their, their ethos is sustainable. And so is mine. So you end up, you know, selling flowers to all sorts of random people. And But we basically had to diversify who we supply to survive because... Um, until Morrison's, the supermarkets, you just woke up every day. Just are we going to have are we going to send oh. anything today? You can't run a show like that. So, um, yes, yeah, so yeah. people, they, they just hit me up on Instagram and uh, direct message me. And um, yeah, it's in their home the next day. So it's picked packed and it's in their home the next day or a lot of florists follow me. And um, yeah, it's. It's fresh stuff. It's been in the dirt the day before they get it. It's not gone around the world through a Dutch auction. You know? <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. And um, it's funny you mentioned Moonpig. Moonpig was literally the next thing I was about to ask. I write a lot of notes as we go. Uh, I always wondered where Moonpig flowers came from. I was quite certain it was not Britain, but you've answered that question. Um, the what was the I had one question before we yes uh, I saw your award winning. Um, could you tell us about that? What, what award have you won? <laughs> well, well, lot, I don't want to be big-headed because it's me and a team, but um, we've won the Sussex Countryside Gold Award. So that's for our efforts on sustainability. 
uh, and we won the Grower Award in 2019. And I went up to Leicester a couple of months ago and we won it again in 2022. So we've won the Grower Award twice and that's for the British Florist Association. So that's mm-hmm. basically the MTV awards of the flower world, basically. So they <laughs> they basically have the florist florist of the year award, florist shop of the year, florist web shop of the year. And they have, which I think is really cool, they have the grower of the year. And actually mm-hmm. half the growers were obviously from other countries this year as well. Yeah. So I thought, how rough is this going to be at the British Florist Association that are grower in ecuador wins it or whatever so and these were big big growers massive massive growers so i thought well i'm not really gonna win this time maybe but i'm gonna give it a go and you know see if we can get any votes and it wasn't based solely on voting it was also uh 2022's award was based on sustainability and what the grower does to help um the environment so mm-hmm. obviously we do a heck of a lot as to mention the british flowers rock campaign which also does you know, extracurricular stuff as well. So um, we, I think we won it on on all the stuff that we do. So that was nice. It was recognised, but it would be even better if NFU, DEFRA, the government also recognised it and would, instead of building lots of houses around us, would <laughs> help us uh, move on a bit here and um, get it rocking and rolling a bit because that's what we that's what we need. So, yeah, we're, we're proud of the achievements, but... Uh, there's a heck of a long way to go. And yeah. I don't think in my generation, when I'm 80 or 90 and I'm about to keel over in the flower beds here, I, I just hope it's different. But at the moment, I just can't see it. I just can't see it because more and more flowers are coming in from other countries. And as I say, over 90% imported. And um, that that statistic isn't it isn't going the other way. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, and I know, I know it because a lot of my uncles and grandparents and and dad their friends they used to run market gardens and flower nurseries and plant nurseries and they sold their land for red brick horrible housing you know Mm. um so i can see it literally here in sussex and hampshire you can see it with your own eyes that our farmland is being built on so if we've got less farmland well we're going to be producing less stuff right yeah absolutely absolutely it's not hard to to visually see it going on before your eyes and and it's sad it is sad it is sad Uh, no it is and and i think well i don't think i'm aware of so many if you folk i don't know them but i'm aware of so many if you people that do listen to my podcast quite often so hopefully hopefully they're listening in and and having a quick think to themselves but um listen ben here it's been an absolute education (laughs) for me i've enjoyed this so much i've learned so much um, I'll be honest. I didn't want to say this at the start and, and embarrass embarrass myself or for that matter, my mum. My mum is a big gardener, loves gardening, has a polytunnel herself, is in it all the time. So uh, when I had arranged a, a discussion with you, I did message her uh, and ask for some guidance. So some of the questions were guided from my from my dear mother, um, which I'm sure she will still be listening because she'll have thoroughly enjoyed uh, this episode. But there is two questions that we uh, we finish every single podcast with. The first one is. Where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is if you had any tips for folk getting into, let's say, nursery growing, what would they be? Goodness gracious. So the first one in five years' time, I don't know what I'm doing in five days' time. Even Christmas Day. I mean, I'll have maybe a couple of hours off Christmas Day, but I'll be whittling away, scheming, skiving, trying to whittle away here. Um, But no, I mean just in a year next year or in 2023 when this podcast comes out 
I'm doing a British Flowers Rock Talk at Wisley, uh, Wisley Flower Show, which is quite a big deal for me. So that'll be really good. And I've got another 60 odd 70 talks to do in 2023. So whoever I'm going to meet along the journey, beautiful people like yourself, it's just one roller coaster this farming and growing lark isn't it so in five years hopefully people are still enthusiastic about the british flowers rock campaign and um hopefully all i can do is is try and make a difference here and there that's all i care about i just want to try and make a difference on the planet and growing sustainable flowers on my little patch of planet earth um i'm happy and if i can change people's minds or just educate people along the way then i'm good so that's that's that and what was the other question I've forgotten if you, now. If you, if you oh, advice, hints, tips yeah. and tricks. Okay, well, <clears throat> I am very lucky. I am a fourth generation grower to have all the infrastructure that is around me here. We're talking a lot of money. And to, to start something from scratch, I've known people that have tried to do it even on a smaller scale. And it's very, very difficult. As I said, over 90% of flowers are imported. But you can uh, find me on social media. You get lots of hints, tips and tricks. I'm very um, receptive, so you can always message me. And I'm always giving work placements, apprenticeship schemes, um, giving advice to other growers. You know, um, I don't like to pay to be a member for things. I think we should all muck in and we're all in this together no money should exchange hands to become a member of this club a member of that club that society and that you know we should just help each other out because social media zoom things podcasts this is all going out you know we do all this for the love of it so people out there that want to get into the flower industry just just message me hit me up and um and that's what people do i actually had someone Someone messaged me last night and they said, Ben, I'm going to do my first talk at a garden show. How much do I charge? I'm a little bit nervous. What do I do? And I just told them a few things and made them feel happy about it and where they're going to go and all that. So, you know, just don't be afraid to ask mm -hmm. anyone. I do. I ask. I annoy people all the time. <laughs> I annoy people. I said, oh, can I come on or whatever? Or you, you said, come on. And, you know, we found each other through because I did the week the week-long farmer thing on the um, insurance, wasn't it? The the guy sponsoring yeah. aid plan, yeah. rural. Yeah, so we, we've connected via that. So, you know, it's just about, I think, putting yourself out there as a farmer grower. Um, my generation, we've had our phone in our hand and we can use it for good and educational purposes. And that's what I do. You know, what oh, I do, yeah. the, the thing I do, I do farmer time. So I do okay. the farmer thing. Have you heard of that? Farmer, no. farmer time. So basically a farmer is uh, hooked up to a junior school. So I've done farmer time for about four or five years now. And basically just 20 minutes, once every two weeks, you go around the nursery with your phone and you talk to junior school kids about how food is done, flowers are grown. And it's called farmer time. It's run by farmer tom beautiful beautiful guy there and um that's no, good to get involved in it so i don't yeah. i don't know about any of that that's uh, yeah yeah just it, it's a leaf uh, a leaf um initiative nfu leaf learning uh, lincoln environment oh no a different thing yeah yeah uh, you're gonna say lincoln environment and farming that's what it is up in scotland leaf <laughs> yeah and if you leaf thing <laughs> actually it's sponsored by sainsbury's randomly enough oh really <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I do things like that. So I think, yeah, just farmers, growers out there. I know it's a tough time with all these costs and everything's you can't get into a normality. You know, we've had the Brexit's, the COVID's now, the war going on. It's like every year you just can't get into a rhythm. That's it. Yeah. Farming, the farming industry, we just can't seem to get into sort of any sort of rhythm. And um, I know it's tough, but we we get through things. And um, I think us farmers and growers were one of the most um, resilient sort of lot out there. <laughs> we're very nimble we're very agile and um we're very hardy <laughs> and we just get through things one way or another with for our families and stuff and uh that's all we can do so uh let's hope 2023 is good but it's probably going to be ups and downs but um we'll keep it positive we'll keep my british vows rocking and that's, uh, um, keep, good keep things rocking coming. Keep them yeah. rocking, starting starting the eighty seventh year in production. Um, exactly. but, yeah. yeah. Listen, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, what what a, what a guest you've been. It's one of those ones that time just flies by, which I absolutely love. Just really enjoyed the whole thing. So thank you for that. It's been an education for myself. I'm sure the listeners have uh, enjoyed as well. I uh, hope you've enjoyed being on. Oh, it's been awesome. And, and quickly, I know it's been a plug. Yeah. If people want to know more, uh, you want to ask me more stuff. It's um. Ulstromaria Ben on Twitter and Instagram. Even on Instagram, if you type in Ben Cross, you'll get me, but Ulstromaria Ben. And it's on Facebook at Crosslands Flower Nursery. So you can just hook up with me there and um, ask me any more info. So, yeah. I'll... What was that? I'll leave you in peace now. <laughs> <laughs> no, so if get you have any questions for, for Ben, feel free to get in touch on any of those streams, guys. Uh, I hope, as I said, hope you've enjoyed. I'm sure you have. Next week, we will, what is this? This will be Friday. On next Friday, as I said, we've got Emily on talking about a lot of different interesting things. But the thing that really interested me about Emily was the fact she's growing quinoa or quinoa, as I said earlier, in the UK, which will be pretty cool to hear. Uh, following that, the next Monday, we should have another group podcast which will be with Jane Craigie Marketing so three of the ladies involved in uh, one of the main rural marketing companies I'm aware of in Scotland uh, get to meet three new people there so yeah Archercast is really starting to fly this year the goal is to try and hit 75 episodes this year um, and we'll see if that's possible but we'll we'll uh, we'll see where we go with that but I hope you keep enjoying hit subscribe on YouTube follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and be sure to get in touch with me on Rural to Kitchen on Instagram and Facebook if you have any questions we shall see you next week cheers Ben cheers thank you I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more Aplan Rural if you follow Aplan on social media you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside Aplan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of Aplan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at Aplan Rural and on Facebook at Aplan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.